that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is your BFFs here on the Friday podcast. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Stephen Means. We're talking Ohio State football recruiting as we do every Friday now. This is the our, our new tradition. Do you think it's – is it sweeping the nation yet, Stephen? At least Buckeye Nation? At least Buckeye Nation. I think we're making our way through the Big Ten right now. We haven't quite hit, you know, playoff stats. I think we're, we've, we're in uh, – the point we're we're playing Penn State this week. Let's start there. This is our first big game. Gotcha. Well, what is not sweeping the Big Ten yet or sweeping the nation yet is visits for recruits in the 2022 class. The NCAA again this week extended the dead period. It was supposed to end on Tax Day, April 15th. It's now been extended until what is it, the end of May? Yeah, May 31st. May, yeah, May 31st. Um, so give people some background here. I guess for, for starters, why is this happening? Is I assume this is all still related to concern about COVID protocols and that sort of thing. Yeah, at this, it's it's literally just COVID. It's 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 health and safety reasons why this is still going on. The dead period exists, and it's what is it? It's it's February. So in a normal situation, the dead period would kind of exist already. We'd still be living in that, and in the way, and they'd still have some restrictions on how coaches could be able to talk. The players, it just wouldn't be this – it wouldn't be a dead period. It'd be something different right now. But the whole point of dead period is it's just for health and safety reasons. It's not adding another variable on the campuses, not adding another variable into these recruits' homes because you don't know what these recruits might bring with them and you don't know what a coach might bring into that home. So it's under the, – the reason why it's in place is understandable. That's never going to be the issue. The issue is we've been in it for – we're going to – at 15 months by the time that it – supposedly ends at this point and there's been no flexibility or creativity with how to get around that because you you we know we're in it now this is not a new situation where we don't know what's happening we don't know how long it's going to be and we're not aware of what's what's going on we're fully aware and if 16 and 17 year olds can find a way around you know can, can find a way to get on campuses safely without having to do any actual physical interaction with anybody else that's not in their household I think the NCAA can come up with some stuff that will allow them to do that and so they don't have to sneak around and do it on their own and I think this is getting presented as in some circles as being something that's a departure even from what else is going on in relation to the, the pandemic but in a lot of ways to me it's very similar like we still don't have direct access to players and coaches we can't just walk over to the woody and talk to them or uh, fans are still not in uh, at full attendance at games everybody's still socially distanced and there's smaller attendance if there's any attendance at all at games like there's it, this seems to me to kind of fall in line to what you're saying as to with, with what else is already happening. Now, I think what's interesting, though, is this question that is kind of loomed above a lot of things, which is when it comes to the well-being of an athlete, a prospective athlete, where do you draw the line between the, this, the, the physical concerns that come along with the virus and the long-term concerns that you have over letting someone make the best possible decision for their college career and as this drags on longer that's where there fr seems to be friction I think we like with a lot of things this is something that initially when they started postponing or extending the dead period people were like yeah okay yeah this makes sense everybody's on board with this and then as it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going then you start seeing people who are even 
who were on, who were in favor of that start to get converted. Right. And now I feel like it's starting to get to the point where people um, that's why the tension is building. I'm still not sure that I wouldn't say that I understand why they're doing it and would probably vote in favor of them extending it. But I understand also if you're someone trying to make a college decision, why this is a frustrating experience. It's a lazy decision. It just seems like, I mean, this is, you went to a room, you, looked at each other and went, we're extending it. Yeah. That's what we're going to do without it. And obviously it's a little bit more thought to it, but this is the, the laziest decision that you could come up with because yeah, you're right. The fan, there's still not the stand still on full of fans. We haven't necessarily, I mean, I've seen Justin Fields in person, but that's just because I snuck down is make sure he was coming to a football game. I haven't actually had a conversation with anybody in person on that team in a year and a half a year, just like you have it. But the SEC had fans, the ACC had fans. The Big 12 had fans to the point Corey Foreman was at a Clemson game this year. And that, that was his visit. He just wasn't on the field and didn't do, do that recruiting stuff. But he was able to go sit in the stands as a fan and go on a visit. If the Big 10 had some similar rules that the ACC and the Big 12 and the SEC did, when Travion Henderson and a bunch of those other guys came up here, Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison, when all those guys came for the Buckeye Bash, they could have sat in the stands for the Nebraska game and just been there as fans who just – Obviously, we're there for more than just the football game, but they could have done the same thing, but they couldn't because the Big Ten had stricter rules. And so, yeah, if you're going to allow some conferences to have fans at their games, you should allow these recruits who actually need to be on these campuses an opportunity to do so. So I guess then what is the fix? You're saying it's a lazy decision, but what would be better? What should the NCAA have done instead? Because there obviously is still the things you were saying before about do you want coaches going into – homes where you don't know what the 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 vaccination slash um, virus situation is there do you want players coming in and mingling with your players when you don't know what their situation is like what what is the better solution right now Uh, uh, the quiet period would have seemed like a better because i think it's easier to control explain the difference explain that difference okay with a quiet period Recruit can come onto campuses. They just and it's the only place that coaches can have physical interaction with them. But they can't go out into. Coaches can't come to them, but recruits can come to the coaches. And I think in that situation, I think college campuses can maybe control that. At least in the football aspect, can control that environment a lot more than if a coach goes to a player's house. So there, you can go through some protocols to make sure it's a safe situation, or even if it's just simply, hey. Come take your official visit. You're not going to see us in person, but, I mean, we have iPhones and Androids at this point. I'm going to FaceTime you, and I'm going to walk around with you and show you everything you need to see. They can't even do that. So, I mean, technology allows some ways that this can be done safely, especially if kids are allowed to come to campus, because then it can be a safer environment that's a little bit more controlled than a coach going into a neighborhood where you don't know what's going on. So let's talk about what this means for Ohio State right now. They already obviously have, as we've talked about on the pod before, 10 commitments for the 2022 class. We think that might be about halfway to where they are going to end up with this class, roughly, mm-hmm. give or take one or two. Um, so they're obviously setting a strong foundation. Does the extension of the dead period – so is it advantageous to have already pulled in that many commitments because of the extension of the dead period? Does it make it difficult – potentially to hold on to all of those commitments because this dead period is going on longer and players are not getting, especially the ones who are more distant and maybe have never been to Columbus, Ohio are not getting as an opportunity to actually come see the campus. Yes. And no, I think seven of these guys for sure would have been in the class anyway. 
if they never came to camp because they're Ohio guys. They're the Ohio guys or they're just other Benji guys now and Bennett Christian who went and did it on his own and we're just committed so early. I think Quinn Ewers is fine at this point. I think we can be a little bit more, you know, nonchalant with that because Malik Murphy does exist at Texas now. And so I think that one is fine. So, the, yes, that adds into the yes. Caleb Burton and Jaheim Singletary, more Jaheim Singletary than Caleb Burton. I think Caleb Burton's pretty locked into being an Ohio State guy as well. Jaheim Singletary is the interesting one just because of how that recruitment played out. It was very quick. It was I don't have an, here's my top five and Ohio state doesn't even exist. Cause I don't even have an Ohio state offer to Ohio state offer me. My new top five has Ohio state in it. Four weeks later, I'm committed to Ohio state. It's that because of how that recruitment played off. I do think that's one where you do need to put the explanation point on it by getting him on campus a little, because that's, that's a weird commitment right there. We're going to talk about JT later. Who's, I mean, that's weird, but this is just as weird because of how quick it went. So those are the guys. I think Jaheim Singletary for sure is the one where I say, no, it's not advantageous that he's already in the class because you still, I think, need to put that punctuation on it. But I think there are also some other guys where we've seen them have Ohio State momentum where if they would have had the opportunity to get on campus by now, Ohio State maybe would have been able to capitalize off of that momentum instead of maybe a cooling off and them ending up elsewhere. And there are some other guys who, who fall under that category right now who were planning on coming in April. And there's a reason Ohio State spring game was probably going to be the April 16th date. And a lot of those kids are probably why. It's, it's, the, it's the earliest you can have these kids on campus, so that was going to be probably be the date, the date. And so – Yes, it is because the bulk of your class is probably safe, but there are still some guys you want to, you know, finalize. But then some other guys you want to, you know, who maybe you have momentum for, but you actually want to get a commitment from. At the same time, every college program in the country is in the same boat. So if right. something were to go sideways and Ohio State were not able to seal the deal with someone, even if someone were to back out, my assumption is now it's not 100%. But then Ohio State can also still go out and maybe do that to somebody else when the visits start happening. Maybe somebody else that they can get back in on later because some other program wasn't able to steal the deal. But you want to get your guy. You want to get the guy who committed to you up front, the guy that you wanted first. And I, I understand all of that. So that's something to keep an eye on. We're going to keep monitoring that. Um, it will be interesting to see as the vaccine becomes more available, more people get it. My uh, dad is 83. He has had um, his first shot. Um, my mom should be getting hers pretty soon. I think my dad's second one actually is coming up on Monday. So he'll be vaccinated pretty soon. I know, um, a lot of people in my kind of the, ex the more elderly people in my extended sphere are getting it. So I think that's good news. It just, all of those things help us get one step closer to a normal football season. Even if it's not college kids who are getting vaccinated widely, getting this process started, I I'm wondering if we're going to start to see kind of a snowball effect. I hope we do. Like the, a, a, the snowball starts rolling downhill and by, you know, we start getting one level of society vaccinated and then it kind of starts building quickly from there and we can have a more normal fall, I hope. Um, but that's something we're going to keep track of, just what keeps happening with the dead period. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, uh, this will obviously be a sphere, this, uh, the BFFs each week. We're going to talk about some of the big recruits that Ohio State's going after. But this week, we're going to talk about kind of the opposite. It's going to be about the, the underrated guys, but maybe they're not so underrated. And we're going to explain that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. And we are talking about recruiting rankings this week. And so often when we talk about Ohio State, it is, um, will the Buckeyes have the number one recruiting class in the country this year? Will Ohio State 
get uh, eight five stars this year? Will Ohio State um, get a four-star or better, a top 100 or better at every position of need that it has this year? And honestly, a lot of those things happen. Eight five-stars might be a lot, but a lot of those things tend to go in Ohio State's favor. What I thought was interesting, you brought this topic this week, uh, that we need to look at when Ohio State offers a lower-ranked guy, what that means. And you wanted to kind of get into some specifics as to the way Ohio State has seemed to be out in front of some guys in their recruitments, getting in on some guys at a low ranking. We're not even talking about someone like Chris Olave, who was very hidden and ended up being a low ranked guy throughout his career. We're talking about guys who at the time that Ohio State offers them are low ranked. And then we see them rise. Kind of explain where you wanted to go with this and and how you see this playing out right now. I think a short way to put it before I go into my explanation is I think Ohio State sets the standard for the recruiting rankings that we see because there are clear jumps they're not all a guy goes from this number 600 ranked player to the number two ranked player over time but there is a some jumps that happen when a kid gets offered by Ohio State that that doesn't and it's uh, that that doesn't necessarily happen when you see other schools go about it and the examples that you have in this 2022 recruiting class and I'm actually going to build a story around when I write by the time you guys read the story uh, are Kion Graves and Keontae Goodwin Kion Grays is the guy – I mean, he's heard the name Chris Olave so many times that he's – I think he's gotten to the point where he's convincing everybody else that he's going to be the next Chris Olave. And he has a point. They did have some similar rank rankings when he was offered by Ohio State. He was the number 521 player and the number six, 68 wide receiver as a three-star when he was originally offered by Ohio State. He was still committed to Arizona. And – Immediately now he's at number three fourteen and number forty six among my receivers and he's earned that four star and that's a writing that's going to keep going up and I, it's I don't know if Chris Olave is his best comparison I think a better comparison for him is maybe Jackson Smith the Jigba who had a similar rise in that situation not 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 as steep but the situation was kind of the same he was a number two hundred eighty eight overall player the number fifty eight wide receiver when he initially got his offer from Ohio State he was still that when he ended up committing and by the time he signed a year later he was a number twenty nine player in the country number five wide receiver as a five star recruit that's what that's Brian Hartline seeing a guy early getting in on him early before he blows up and has a crazy senior year like yeah I think he had like a hundred catches his senior year but he saw the talent early offered him got him to lock in and then the rest of the world kind of found out about him through the fact that he had an Ohio state offer and he was committed to Ohio state and more people started paying attention to him along with his game continuing to develop. And he ended up being a five-star guy. And there's a lot of other names on that list as well. I mean, CJ Stroud, obviously before he went to the, the elite 11, he was the, he was number five eleven, And by the time he ended up signing, he was number 42 and number two pro style quarterback. Travion Henderson falls under this. When he got his Ohio state offer, he was two thirty-one, a four-star guy. He committed as the number 17 player, the number two running back, and ended up signing as the number 22 player, the number one running back in the country. And then Mike Hall, number 409, three-star. And by the time he commits, he's 232. And then he ends up signing as a borderline top 50 player in the country and the number five defensive tackle in the country. So this has become a trend of some of this is just you get more tape on guys. And so you just have a better evaluation. But I do think some of it is there are certain offers that signify things in recruiting and Ohio state is one of those teams where they've built up a standard for where if a kid earns an Ohio state offer, he must be pretty good because they're not offering guys who are two stars, 
talents. They're offering guys who are four and five star talents. So when you hear Ryan Day and Mark Pantone say stuff like this is a number one recruiting class for us. Yes, some of that is coach talk, but actually when you get a little bit deeper into it, what's a five star number one recruiting class for Ohio State is sometimes a five star number one recruiting class for the country. Well, yeah, they do talk about that too, right? That it's, they, they go, they have their own recruiting rankings that they yeah. go by, their own grades that they go by. And what I think is interesting here is you sent me a list that included all those people you talked about. And there were some other people on that list too. I think Mike Hall was the only one from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Everybody else on that list is a, a, a player from, and sometimes you're talking about California, Arizona, you know, the East Coast. So it's where you get more spread out. And that to me is kind of a signifier that if Ohio State is offering a player ranked in the three, four, five hundreds from another state. That tells me something that you're not going to go spend recruiting resources to go fight for a guy who you really think is maybe only long-term a backup guy from another state, because you we've talked before that that is not how those guys don't stay. A guy very rarely is going to come all the way from California or um, Massachusetts or somewhere in the Southeast and spend five years here and never play. And that it just doesn't make sense. If you were put yourself in that athlete's shoes, I don't think that makes a lot of sense, but a guy from Ohio ranked in a similar way with a realistic expectation of playing at Ohio state. I think that does happen. So I, that to me is a signifier too, right? That if that, that tells me that there probably was something where they were out in front as far as their evaluation of someone, but we also need to remember too. And I know that, people like me who are maybe even more jaded and cynical about recruiting rankings recognize that there are definitely some guys who were ranked a certain way. And then the recruiting services see that Ohio state ranked them a certain or offered them. And all of a sudden they think, Oh, well that must mean that he is actually needs to be ranked higher. Right. And to that point, that Dewan Jones is where this gets in. He wasn't rated. He wasn't a top thousand guy in the 2019 recruiting class, and he got an offer late and ended up signing during the late signing period. He kind of fits that description you're talking about, Nathan. Because what if Ohio State would have found that kid, Zen Machowski? What if he did, they found him when they found Zen Machowski and they found him in July and or June instead of you know December? Would do and that's got a guy of that size who's got some basketball ability like he has, who's pretty athletic for a guy who's six eight, what three hundred plus pounds. What if they had found him in July? Would that guy who was not ranked at all ended up as a would he have ended up as a top two hundred player just based on Ohio State just shined a big light on him and now the rest of the world is looking at his film and going, man, that kid's pretty good. So he fits that description of is that a guy where is it? Is that guy really that good, or is it Ohio State got involved, so now you've kind of changed your opinion of him? So these guys that we've seen already get offers for 2022, you mentioned Keonta Goodwin, um, who's an Indiana kid. You mentioned Kyon Grays, who's an Arizona kid. You also threw out Kojo Antwi, who's a, a Georgia kid. Um, like, where do you see those guys climbing to? And do, is that do you see all three of those guys as evidence of – guys that Ohio State was ahead of the curve on? I think with Keontae Goodwin, it's, that one's interesting because the world knows now. Uh, I, I, but I think he's the one where he's going to start off as a borderline top 200 guy, maybe 300 guy, and might end up as a top 50, top 25 player in the country. Um, he went to the uh, Midwest Challenge this past weekend and just tore it up. He just tore And I, when I talked to him, he's, I want to be the number one player in the country. And now he looks the part. He's lost a bunch of weight. He was – 
425 pounds two and a half months ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Now he's down to about 285, 290 from what he told me. And he, I mean, he looks like an elite level offensive tackle now. He lost, wait, he lost 140 pounds in two and a half months? I mean, he's 16 years old now. He's yeah, a 16 year old athlete. That's two and a half months? He's a 16 year old athlete, man. He's, a, you know, his, his metabolism is a little different. But, but yeah, that, that's. It's it's a little ridiculous, but it's the, the point of the ma- that that kid. I won't be surprised if he's a five star by the time he gets to signing day, and I think that's probably why he's Ohio State's most important target. He's not the best. Like Quinn Ewers is obviously the best, and then Caleb Burton, Jaheim Singletary all exist. But I think he's the most important because Ohio State needs a five star tackle, and that might end up being their five star tackle the same way that Jackson Smith the Jigba ended up being their second five star receiver. And I, I just think that's how that's going to play out, given his development and the way he just blew everybody away. He's going to do that a couple more times this year at some different camps. Kion Grays, I think, is – I don't know if he'll end up as a top 100 recruit because he was just so low. And it's – wide receivers are, are interesting. But I do think he can be a top fit 150, borderline top 100 recruit by the time this is all said. And then Kojo and Tui is the interesting one because I, I, he kind of falls under, under the strike while the iron's hot. And it seems like some things have cooled in Georgia – has kind of picked up its stride a little bit. Going to get Gunnar Stockton, I think, really pushed some momentum back in Georgia's way. They're the number two recruiting class in the country now, and so he might end up staying home. He's from the same hometown as Jordan Hancock, but he might end up staying home and going to Georgia. But I think Kion Grays and, and Keontae Goodwin, for sure, fall into that category of guys that Ohio State maybe got in on when they weren't really highly rated and weren't really well-known, and now they're starting to climb. But you have to have some of these guys, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. one thing – they're guys who – from the time that they're like freshmen in high school, people know are destined for NFL careers or seem to be on that path. Mm-hmm. You've got to have some guys, but, but, but those guys are also the ones that the competition is the fiercest for like, you know, five-star guys go look at their offers. Like anybody who's anybody is like at least interested in those guys are offering those guys. The competition is really, really, really fierce. It may not be Ohio state, Alabama and Clemson, all three for every single one of those guys. But usually one of those teams is involved and it's, and it's, a handful of really strong teams that are involved in all of those guys. You've got to be able to once in a while go get a guy and, and get in on the ground floor. And I think that's what's also important about these two is that it's going out and we've seen time and time again, here's the dirty little secret. Go read like a lot of recruiting coverage and it's the same stories over and over and over again. Especially when I covered basketball, it was like, oh, um, this, this center wants to get better at his, um, his footwork. And this uh, forward wants to get better at his shooting. And this guard wants to get stronger. Like, it was the same kind of things a lot of times over and over. It's a, it's a position trying to work on their weaknesses. And a lot of times in these recruiting things, when you get a guy like this who was maybe lower recruited early, what's the thing that keeps coming back time and time again? Well, they were the first program to offer me. They were the first program to really believe in me. I really felt that they connected with me. And I think those things pay off. You see those things pay off two or three years down the line with players like this. And also when you go after this, these are the type of players you earn your paycheck on. Every, you know, every five-star top five player in the country is not going to be as easy as it was with Jack Sawyer, where you offer the kid, he commits, and he's like, okay, let's go build. That's not actually real. And he'll even say, the way I went about this is not realistic at all. But you earn your paycheck when you do find the Chris Olaves of the world, the Kion Gray, the Mike Halls of the world, where – you that's your eye that's not anybody can tell you jack sawyer is good 
your eye for talent letting you know two years in advance that my call is good or that Kion Grays is good or that Keontae Goodwin is good or Travion Henderson, those are the type of guys where you can impress people with your eye for talent. And that's, I think, what makes Mark Brantoni special are those type of kids along with, yeah, he can go get Quinn Ewers. Hold that thought because we're going to take another break here. We're going to come back with some leftover questions from our rapid fire section this week that were recruiting related. And one of them has to deal with Ohio State's director of player personnel, Mark Pantone. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, wrapping up this week's BFFs with some rapid fire questions. This one from the 614, and it leads, it's the natural successor to what we were just talking about. With the advent of NIL, name and image and likeness reform, and one time no fault transfer, is there a scenario in which the director of player personnel, the Mark Pantone role, could at some colleges become the most influential member of the football staff? Kind of like an NFL team that uses a powerful GM model. I think the answer to this question is I think it's already happening more than people realize right now. It's certainly happening with Mark Pantone, and I think they haven't been that discreet about that or that secretive about it, really. I mean, you know, Ryan Day, he'll talk about it when he goes up there. Mark Pantone will when we get to talk to him. Ryan Day will even talk about it. Other guys will talk about it. The role that Mark Pantone plays in identifying prospects and helping them come up with that grade that we were talking about before. And now his, his influence now extends also beyond just the recruiting spirit it extends into some of the scouting they do of other teams and stuff like that and how that plays into even the, the transfer portal. But I think the answer here is yes. I mean, I, I think as, as that expands things like, I don't even so I don't think it's so much as much name, image and likeness, but the, the transfer portal stuff, I, I think the, I think, the influence of these player personnel guys is going to be more important. And I think it's huge that Ohio state already has someone as accomplished and nuanced in that role as Mark Pantone, because they're going to be, I think out in front of this next movement that's coming in, that's going to try to copy what they do to some extent. Yeah. um, I think that's already how he views his job is he's the GM of Ohio state football, which is fine. I mean, yeah. Transfer portals. He's literally a GM who does everything, but make trades. That's, that's the only part. And that's because it's college not pros. I do think it's interesting. The guy who's actually responsible for why this position exists in the first place continues to be the guy who's the first guy through the door. Every time it continues to evolve. I mean, this position didn't exist until urban Meyer hired Mark Pence brought him up here from Florida. And even he was doing it a little bit at Florida, but it wasn't necessarily didn't have a name until he got to Ohio state and urban Meyer gave, And now everybody has a director of recruiting personnel or director of personnel or whatever you want to call it. Everybody has their own Mark Pantone. He holds uh, conferences in the summers for this exact position. And so, yeah, yeah, it, it, he, he is, he's Ohio state's GM without it actually being called the general manager. He can do everything but trade. Yes. And that's the other reason why this is going to grow in uh, being more common and grow in influence is because Mark Pantone is like spreading little clones of himself throughout college football. Now, I think that you're going to see those people go off and join other programs and kind of take some of the Pantone playbook into other places. And that's just what happens in sports. It happens when somebody comes up with a new offense or defensive wrinkle and those guys spread out and, and take it to other places. And this is just another example of this, but it's also another example, frankly, um, and I'm not going to get on a soapbox here because I'm not trying to steer it in that direction, but it's another example of how college sports is bleeds more towards a professional model, um, the way it handles football and basketball, especially the, the major revenue sports. And I think it's, I think it's true. I think it's, 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 
It's about player acquisition and player management and those sorts of things on a, on a very refined level are going to be, it's just going to, it's, we already see it and it's going to continue to grow. Um, also from the 614 here, um, and you mentioned this already, Malik Murphy's commitment to Texas, uh, we should explain who he is, a, a quarterback out of California, the number two quarterback in the nation for the 2022 class behind Quinn Ewers, who is committed to Ohio State. Malik Murphy's commitment to Texas, Quinn Ewers' home state, was widely celebrated by Ohio State fans. Can you think of a time when a recruit committing to another school has been celebrated more by Ohio State fans? This would have been a question for uh, non-BFF, Doug Lamerese, I think, to really yeah. chime in on. Too bad he can't be here today. Um, <laughs> we actually don't mind Doug at all, and it, it, we really do wish he was here. I think he would be a good person to answer his question, and maybe we yeah. can get his feedback on it later uh, because he's been doing this for so long. You're in, you're in my um, – our, our perspective on Ohio State football is more recent, but can, do you have an answer for this? Can you think of a time recently when a recruit committing to another school has been – this much cause for celebration for Ohio State fans, either because it blocked someone or because they – the other thing here would be if – what if neither of these guys were committed and Malik Murphy committed to Texas? Well, then that would mean that it meant it was more likely that Quinn Ewers was coming up here. So there could be another example like that, I suppose. I don't think – yeah, Doug would be – we're going to have to ask him this again. But I don't think so. I don't think this detailed and the reason for the the excitement because – like when yours is already committed here, but his entire commitment has been one asterisk celebration of, Oh, we got the number one quarterback in the country. Is he going to leave us? It's like you got married and then you immediately start being scared that your wife is going to send you divorce papers and you haven't even been on the honeymoon yet. You know, that's, that's you know, and that's what that when yours has been. So now that, you know, you got back from the honeymoon and it seems like life, life has gotten back to normal and she seems very happy in this and she's going around posting pictures of her, of her, uh, of her, of her ring and telling everybody she's married and said, I'm Mrs. Baird, yada, yada, yada. You're pretty, you're happy. You, you know, you're not, you're less worried about it at this point. And I think that's what you don't have to worry as much. I think, I think the stress level of Ohio state fans over a commit, especially this fan base because they've seen so many quarterbacks, commitments go sideways I think before Jack Miller and Kyle McCord kind of were you know they committed to two years in advance and they just stick, stuck around regardless of what was going on around them you saw a lot of different quarterbacks you know Dwan Mathis um, the kid who's now at Florida um, you just saw some quarterback recruiting go go rise so I think some of that is still in the back of your head especially with a guy who's this highly rated and Texas is clearly getting its act together you weren't going to be happy until Texas you needed Texas to tell you that we're not after Quinn Ewers anymore more than you needed Quinn Ewers to keep telling you that he's not going anywhere because with teenagers that can mean a lot to them now until they flip. And finally from the two one six, and this is going to be something that we have to keep revisiting between now and April. I don't know if we'll talk about it every week, but it's going to kind of hang out there. What are the odds we get five star out of Washington? They're talking about JT Tumaloao, the the five star defensive end uh, from the state of Washington. Why is he waiting until April? What happens between now and April to make a difference? He can't visit Ohio State. And this takes us back to what we talked about at the beginning in the extension of the dead period. Because the reason why he pushed his decision to April was because he thought there would it would give him a better chance of going to visit some of these schools. So, do you believe that it is still an April timeline for him now that he is prohibited from seeing 
Ohio State or any other schools, or at least getting to come on a, a non-dead period situation. Um, and where do you think things stand as far as his relationship with Ohio State? I do still think it's an April timeline because I think if it comes down to it, he'll just come to Ohio Columbus himself and see what he needs to see. And, I mean, we've seen plenty of recruits do that at this point, so I wouldn't be surprised if he adds his name to that list of people to do that. I think what people need to remember when you say that what's taking – basically what's taking so long, why he knows he can't come to Ohio, come visit, why, why wait so long, why wait till April, he doesn't have to sign anything until August 1st, technically. The, the, the signing period at this point, when it starts on February 3rd, runs through August 1st. So he has eight months to make a decision, and he was never early enrolling. So there was never really a, a motivating factor to sign as early as he possibly can. He can take as much time. Now, obviously, he's probably not going to take till August because he wants to show up maybe in the summer somewhere and get, get to work on his college career and whatnot. But he could if he wants to. And every recruitment is different. You know, why did Zach Harrison never put out top fives and top 15s and be very secretive about everything? And so it was such a big deal when he even – made his tw- Twitter public and posted a, a, a meme of Spider-Man saying, come on in, everybody follow me. You know, why do some kids talk to every member in the media and are ho- openly active and tease fans by posting different emojis that, you know, represent the different school? Every recruitment is different in how they handle it. And he wants to get to Ohio State, and he has as much time to be able to do that as he wants. And I think we have to just, Ohio State has to be patient. I think the, the chance to – Ohio State is still the favorite to land him, whether they land him – tomorrow or in April or in July. They're still the favorite to land him, but when he decides to make his decision, he can take as long as he wants. And I think we have to remember that. Um, this is not like a Cameron Martinez situation where he was he's favored to Ohio State, but Cameron Martinez was committed and still and took his time. It's not that situation where it's like, you're already committed, why haven't you signed yet? It's, this kid hasn't – he's undecided, so he has as much time to make his decision, and we have to continue to approach it that way, even if it does seem like he's going to be a future Buckeye. He's waiting till April because he can and because he wants yeah. to. Um, he has all the leverage here. And I, I, don't even, I don't even mean leverage in a pejorative way. I just feel like he, nobody who's recruiting him is going to tell him um, you have to commit or we're done with you. Every place that he is being recruited by will still take him. And if I was in his shoes, I would probably do the same thing. I mean, again, if you're not going to commit early, there's no benefit in his case to wrapping up a scholarship. He isn't one of these guys who's ranked in the two or three hundreds who mm-hmm. might get passed up for somebody else. He's the best prospect who's uncommitted out there in the country, right? Like, is there anybody else ranked no. at, at near his level? Uh, anybody would still take him. And even the, the best programs in the country who already have fairly full recruiting classes, they'll find a way to squeeze him onto a roster. So I but I think he's making the right decision. I think he's doing the prudent thing. Um, if anything, the other thing about pushing through to April is I assume they have some kind of spring break out in Washington. So maybe during that spring break, he could take trips and not have to miss any school. I mean, there's a lot of logistical things that, that favor waiting, I think, right now. And whether or not he's projected to stay with Ohio State or not, I don't think you can fault this guy for taking the path he's taking. I think he's doing the smart thing. He's the number three player in the country with no off-field problems. He can – teams – this is the epitome of if a team really wants you, they'll hold a spot for you. How well do he and Sawyer know each other? 
pretty well, I think, as well as two people who've probably never seen each other in person (laughs) and know each other. But it's like, I mean, that was the bulk of the 21 recruiting class that that barely any of them had seen each other in person. I think they have a good relationship, and he felt pretty confident that JT Tumala was going to end up a Buckeye. But it's also, I think, he's mature about it and understands that – just because I'm confident it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. So it, it was a pretty – the same, I think, he's also got a great relationship with G. Scott. They're high school teammates. So he's got – the relationships are there. It's just everybody's process is different. And I think there is a – there is a, 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 a skill to being a recruit who's one of the active recruiters without it becoming annoying. And every time you talk to a guy, it's, hey, when you commit, hey, when you commit it. And – I think he mastered it. Travion Henderson mastered it. Nassau McCullough and CJ Hicks have mastered it, where it might seem like on Twitter the only thing they ever say to other guys is, come be a Buckeye. And they might pass by him at a camp and go, come be a But it's a lot. They actually don't talk about it as often as people think they do in a lot of these group chats that they're all in. It's just a fun joke on Twitter. But it's an active recruiting process, but it's not to the point where it's like, okay, dude, I get it. Do you want me to come to Ohio State? And we talked about the potential recruiting impact if Al Washington were to have left to go to Tennessee this is one that would not as far as we know been affected by that at all so at least in the in a very very short term Ohio State could have kept this intact and then worried about hiring the right guy to go help keep those 2022 linebackers this is Larry Johnson and Brian Hartline interestingly enough I think those are but I I don't know that makes sense I mean those are your two guys those are your two closers right now right yeah but it's just, it's just interesting how some of these end up – when you have a position recruiter and an area recruiter who, who ends up being – because Tony Alford is actually in on a lot of guys that you wouldn't think he's in just because the area recruiting. And so it's, it's just always interesting to see who ends up getting paired up in these situations when you're trying to close a guy. And we talked about recruiting regions last week on this very podcast, and this is another one where Ohio State would be trying to pull a pretty important guy, a pretty talented guy out of the Pacific Northwest, which has been a fruitful area for them. You mentioned G. Scott, Emeka Egbuka. There's probably somebody I'm forgetting. Like They've been pulling some really impressive guys out of there in the past uh, few years. So that's going to do it for BFFs this week. Come back tomorrow for the Saturday Buckeye Talk pod that will take you into the weekend, and we'll be back next Friday with more recruiting talk. I'm Nathan Baird. He's Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.